1208. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, the stock market started off down 250, came back, and now it is in the toilet. Yeah. Big time. Down 373 points or so. Mm, just happened now in the last 20 minutes. It just, really started to tank again. Plunge. So, um, and again, one of the things that's tough to figure out is, is, is this one of these irrational things or, you know, is what is it exactly in response to? But another very bad day in the stock market. We're going to keep our eyes on that. After a 600-plus point, 660-point drop in the Dow on Friday, down another 373 points today. All right, we survived the weekend. Several inches of snow, bitter cold, more snow on the way. We love Wisconsin in February. We start off today's show like we start off every show, three big things. Let's start with the thing that everybody is talking about. First of all, the Super Bowl game. Now, I think a lot of times that the Super Bowl games over the years have tended to not really live up to all the hype. Last couple of years, though, that has not been the case. And last night, I thought it was just an outstanding game. It was kind of a back and forth. Philadelphia takes the lead. New England comes back, and everybody's going, oh, my gosh, does this mean that New England's going to win again? Are they going to pull one out? And Philadelphia ends up winning. But it was a good game, a lot of back and forth. Everybody, all the pundits, all the experts thought this was going to be a big game when it comes to defense. Well, it turned out not to be that way at all. turned out it was more like, again, Offensively, like a pinball machine, you know, things going back and forth, kind of like a video game. But it was an entertaining game. And I think for a lot of us who think New England probably wins more than its share of times, I think most of us were probably pretty glad to see the Patriots end up losing. All right. But that's not the reason why a lot of people watch the Super Bowl. You watch the Super Bowl for the outcome. You watch the Super Bowl to see if your numbers have come up. But you also watch the Super Bowl for the different commercials. And I I, I won't say I saw them all, but between watching them live and going back and then watching them you know, later on, some of the ones that got a lot of buzz, I, I think I've had a chance to see most of them. Now, the interesting thing is it costs, what, $5 million for a 30-second ad. And the point I have always made when it comes to talking about commercials is sometimes I think what happens during the Super Bowl is people get too clever by, by half in that they might come up with a clever ad, but at the end, you don't remember what it was an ad for, which is what I always say. If somebody's going to spend $5 million to promote, for example, the show, I'd make darn sure that you knew that it was an ad for this particular show. And sometimes you don't necessarily get that impression with some of the ads. In general, I thought as a group, as a group, I thought the ads were better than normal. I'm not sure that there were one or two ads that really knocked it out of the park, but a lot of years there's been one or two ads that I thought really, really, really great and a lot that I thought stunk. I, I think I'm not sure I saw ads that I thought were really great that they're going to be replaying a couple years from now or 10 years from now as great examples of marketing. But at the same time, I thought a lot of the ads were pretty good. So let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. The Super Bowl ads. What did you, was there something you really liked? Was there one that you really hated? Was there one that you just didn't get? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. And as you might expect, I had my share of opinions on these. It's 1212. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 12.15, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, yesterday the big cultural thing, of course, was the ads at the Super Bowl. Some very, very well-received. As I was saying earlier, when I, I, I don't know why, but I loved I loved the M&M's ad where the M&M turned into Danny DeVito. I don't know why. It was just I thought it was kind of funny, um, a little bit dumb, but it, it certainly stuck in my mind. And I certainly knew that it was an ad for M&M's. Does it make me necessarily want to go out and buy a bunch of M&M's? I don't know. But I thought it was a pretty darn good ad. Were there ads that you absolutely loved? Were there ads that you hated? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kurt on the north side. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Thanks for taking the call, Jeff. Sure. Nice to speak with you. The ad I'm talking about, which kind of disturbed me, was the Diet Coca-Cola ad showing the new cans with that very anorexic-looking young woman dancing around with the Coke can in her hand. Right. Did you see that ad? I did. What I did, did I did. Um, that one didn't do anything for you, huh? I mean, no, I, was, I, I thought she was sick. Yeah, it's... Now, I mean, they also... There were a couple other ads that really... That, that, that Coke did that really kind of... I think hit it out of the park. I was just looking. They had that. Um, they had that wonder of us ad that was there, and they're yeah, the ones that nice did ad. right this there one with, with the country with women worried about their bodies with uh, fat shaming and people being you know anorexic. This ad was disturbing, in my opinion. Good enough. No thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right, best and the worst. Let's talk to Becky in Oak Creek. Becky, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Did you get a chance to watch the ads? We did, actually. We were um, watching it from a New York City feed because we were flying back on Southwest. Okay. And so there was an insurance company that must have been local. They had two ads. The first one was they were comparing their company to two other well-known companies um, saying that they had in common with what the Patriots and the Eagles had in common. They both sucked. And they were both losers. <laughs> oh, jeez. And we looked at each other, and we're like, this can't be true. 30 seconds later, they had another ad. And they said, they were comparing them um, once again. And it said, what's the difference between cheating on your taxes and cheating at football? If you cheat on your taxes, you go to jail. If you cheat in football, you get to sleep with a supermodel. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. And... We're like, I, we could not even believe this was happening. And I <laughs> shared it on Facebook today, and apparently nobody here saw it. They didn't right. know what I was talking about. But we were both kind of shocked that that was approved to go on the air. So well, I'm assuming a couple of people are not very happy with that. Yeah, uh, thanks to call. Yeah, again, that was that's been one of the local ads that, that they had there. Yeah, I didn't see that one. I, I, you know, I think in general, again, I think that they, they did a, a pretty good job of these, um, you know, USA Today always does their analysis of like the best and the worst. Um, their their ad meter says the one where um, Alexa loses her voice, and it was the one where you know they have the she loses a voice, so they have a number of other people then kind of try out to do that. I guess that was that was one. Um, the NFL finished second when with uh, Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. doing the the two second uh, their two stepping touchdown celebration um, uh, for Daniel Patrick that the Dan Patrick show that was one that I think got a lot of attention as well. A lot of people liked the the Doritos ad, the Doritos Blaze and the Mountain Dew Ice ad that um, you know had Peter Dinklage, who's the guy from. 
well, uh, Game of Thrones and Morgan Freeman. That one didn't do much for me, but a lot of people apparently like that. Uh, you know, it's just, again, I think a lot of them were pretty decent, but they they just, I, I don't know that I think that any of them were great. Another one that scored really well was the Budweiser ad where they showed the guy um, getting called up in the middle of the night and then going to the Budweiser plant and how they stopped making beer and they started making water and then sent that out for delivery. I thought that was pretty good ones. 414-799-1620. Mike in East Troy. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. I didn't know if you saw this one, but the one that I thought was one of the funniest ones was when they, I think it was a Dodge Ram commercial right. with the Vikings. Right, right, where, they, where they're going to the Super Bowl? Yeah, and then they realize the Minnesota Vikings are not in the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, they turn around and go back. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, you know, it's interesting, Mike, because this shows that, you know, different tastes. That ad is getting universally panned. You know, it just, if you look at, like, the ad meters and stuff, lots of people just absolutely hated that particular ad. I just, I, I, I remember the one you're talking about. It seemed like there was a lot of involvement in there. But, yeah, it's, that was one of your favorites, huh? Yeah, it was especially when they were taking the ram across on the raft, right. the boat in the back. Right. Uh, the other really good one I thought was the Tide Guy commercial. That the Tide commercials are getting a lot of really positive references that because they're they're kind of like the the takeoff. Uh, I when I first saw when I saw the first one, I was trying to figure out what the, is this an ad for, and then immediately you get it's kind of a spoof of all the other Super Bowl ads, and they keep saying, "No, this is for Tide. This is for Tide. This is for Tide." I thought those were memorable because you remember it's for Tide, and you go, "Oh, this is this is kind of a clever take." on things. So I, I think those Tide ads were good, pretty good as well. Yeah. There no, you go. No, thanks for coming. See, I, I'm with you. I didn't, I got to be honest with you. I didn't like the Vikings ad, but I, I did. I thought the Tide ads were incredibly, um, uh, again, I thought these, those were creative. Now, of course, you know, you've also got the, you know, you're talking about the, the Ram ads. The, um, the, the worst ad, I think pretty much everybody agrees, is the ad for the, the Ram truck using uh, Dr. King, you know, um, that's got a lot of people going, uh, that they thought that that was pretty much in really kind of bad taste to use that. And I, I think, I think that uniformly was probably the worst one. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you an ad that I thought was kind of a letdown too. The Bud Light ads, the whole dilly dilly thing. And my producer Gru and I have talked about this before. He hates them. Just ab- and, and it is a very, very divisive ad campaign. People either love it. And say that tagline all the time, dilly dilly, or people hate it. And they, they were running this three, it was kind of like a trilogy of ads that wrapped up with the Super Bowl one yesterday, where the, the people of the kingdom are getting ready to get into a big uh, battle, and they're losing the battle, and all of a sudden the Bud Light Knight arrives. I thought that was really a letdown. I, I thought, now, Gru, did you see that ad? You didn't see it? it it's kind of the wrap up of them, and I thought. I, I don't hate the dilly-dilly ads like you do, my producer, but I thought the, the last one was was kind of, well, kind of a letdown. Let's talk to Josh in Waterford. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Josh. Josh, Josh, Josh. Okay, lost Josh there. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Toyota did well with uh, the first ad in its history that featured no cars. It was the uh, heartwarming story of Laura um, Wilsoncroft, who was the Paralympian born with no legs. Um, yeah, that was. I thought that that was a that was a good one 
as well. Again, I, you, you kind of look and you watch the ads and you sit there and you say, okay, you know, where, you know, where are they coming from and what are they trying to do? And I think Tide was good. I think the Alexa was good. I think the Ram Trucks was bad. The M&M's one I thought was pretty darn good. One of the ones that's getting a lot of attention that kind of left me a little cold, but people liked it, was the thing for Febreze where they're talking about uh, so-and-so's bleep doesn't stink. And I was trying to figure out where it's going and where it's going. And finally, at the end, you get the tagline that it's an ad for um for again Febreze. One of the other things that you know Netflix deserves a lot of credit for. Netflix a lot of these ads are designed to promote movies that are opening soon. Netflix decided to use this as an opportunity to promote this new movie, The Cloverfield Paradox, and they announced it was it was available right away. So that was actually kind of a cool thing. It it's not like it's not like, you know, you have to wait two weeks for the movie to open. It's hey, this thing is opening now. So in any event, I thought they were, I thought in general they were pretty good. I thought better, better than most, perhaps less political this year than some people might have thought. And I think that was probably good as well. So in general, I don't know if it's money well spent. $5 million is a lot to run a 30-second ad, but I thought it was entertaining. All right, when we come back, President Trump says total vindication, total vindication. I wouldn't go that far. We'll discuss. Stick around. It's 1224. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve twenty-six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. After a long day of work, playing with the kids may be the last thing you want to do, but a new study says it's even more important than you may think. Gene Miller has the details at 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. Friday the memo was released. We had a chance to talk about it a little bit. This is, of course, the Nunez memo prepared after reviewing the information that was used to obtain a warrant authorizing electronic interception wiretapping of a guy who was associated with the Trump campaign, Carter Page. All right. Let's let's kind of review the bidding here and put it into perspective. I think it is very clear that what happened is. You had corners cut at the FBI. There were people in the FBI who did not want to see Donald Trump get elected president. They didn't like him, and they were hoping that he did not win. You also had agents that I think were behaving in an extremely sloppy fashion. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who has you know, prepared a lot of warrants, not just regular search warrants, but also warrants for wiretaps, you know, in another life. I, I think what happened is, you know, you have, as a prosecutor, you have an ethical obligation if you're going to present evidence to a judge to present, well, if you know, for example, that there's reasons why that some of the information in there or the informants might be biased or the information might be suspect, you have an obligation to disclose that to the judge. That does not appear to have happened here. Now, whether it was political motivation or whether it was sloppiness, don't know. Don't know. But the truth of the matter is the FBI does not look great on this. And I think it is a reasonable inference that you could say that there were some people who um, were passionate about investigating Trump and his colleagues and kind of cut corners to do that. And, and those people deserve to lose their jobs and be held accountable. On the other hand, 
that doesn't mean necessarily that there's not some there there. Even if the wiretap application was flawed, it doesn't mean that crimes, for example, weren't committed. Let me give you an example from a completely different world. Let us say that the police stop somebody on the street and they find that person with guns and dope and all sorts of things. And it later turns out that they didn't have a basis to stop him. So the stop gets thrown out. Well, okay, maybe you can't prosecute him. Maybe they were wrong in stopping him, but it doesn't change the fact that the guy had the guns and dope on him. I mean, it doesn't change necessarily the underlying fact that the person might have been dirty. I am not suggesting that this there's any there there when it comes to the Russia investigation of President Trump. I am saying, though, that it seems to me that these are you're, – you're talking apples and oranges. Were, were certain FBI agents biased – in going after the president. Yeah, I think that that's a fair conclusion. Were corners cut? Yeah, I think that that's a fair conclusion. Should heads roll involving some of the people that were responsible for signing off on these things? Absolutely. Does that mean, though, that President Trump has been totally vindicated? No, it it, it doesn't. Because, again, there's two different things. And I understand that's not what people want to hear. The people who hate Trump want to hear, oh, there's, this is a complete nothing burger. No, it's not, because it does show bias, in my opinion, on part of some people at the FBI. And people who love Trump want to say, oh, it's complete vindication. No, it, it doesn't. It d- doesn't mean that there's not some substance to this investigation. So the bottom line is some heads need to roll at the FBI at the same time. At the same time, doesn't change the underlying fact that maybe – Maybe there's some there there. Now, I happen to not to think so. Haven't seen anything. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. After a win in Brooklyn, the Bucks are off to a 1-0 start on their four-game East Coast road trip. Next up, the Knicks. Ted Davis is live from Madison Square Garden tomorrow night with Buckshots coverage at 610 here on WTMJ. Be sure to check that out. One, one final thought on, on all the, the memo stuff. O- over the weekend, I, I saw... That this Adam Schiff, who's the, the Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, making the rounds of the talking head shows. And, of course, you go on MSNBC or you go to George Stephanopoulos, and, and, and they, they, wanna, they want to eat up with a spoon everything that Schiff is shov- shoveling at them. You know, and Schiff is saying, oh, this is going to be devastating because this, this means this is going to damage the Intelligence Committee community because nobody's going to come forward and provide any sort of information if you know that it might be made public. Well, all right, first of all, that's nuts, too. Um, there, there weren't sources that were compromised here. The only source that got implicated was a guy who shouldn't have been used as a source in the first for, in the first place. This this Christopher Steele character. Um, you know, here you had somebody who was completely and totally biased, who was a, a, a rogue. A rogue informant who wasn't following the FBI's instructions and who was being, you know, he was on essentially who was, you know, being paid to dig up dirt and had his own, you know, animus. None of that was disclosed to the judge. So if these Democratic representatives are concerned about protecting, you know, flawed, biased, paid informants who aren't offering intelligence information that's worth the paper it's written on, well, that's cool. 
all the better, then, you know, we don't want those kind of informants to begin with. So this whole argument that, oh, this is going to be the end of the world and it's going to limit the ability of people to come forward, that's nothing but a bunch of hooey either. So I, I think for President Trump to say that this memo completely and totally vindicates him, that's an overreach. And for people who are going to turn around and say, well, um, you know, here's the other problem with going around. This is going to just destroy our ability to gather information and people won't be willing to come forward. Uh, that's a little bit of hyperbole as well. All right. Big story number three, Walmart being attacked as being racist. Now, let me back into this story. Shoplifting is a huge problem at various stores, and there's different types of products which are shoplifted more than others. For example, razor blades. You go into a lot of stores, and it's almost like you need a picture ID and a credit card before you can even open up the thing to get access to razor blades. Now, what? why is that? Well, it's because razor blades cost a lot of money. They're easily concealable. They're easy to shoplift. So a lot of stores have taken to, again, putting razor blades in these different types of cabinets that you got to jump through hoops to go through. You know, they open it up and it, it, it dings. Sometimes you even have to go get somebody to unlock them, depending on what the store is. But it's based on the fact that people steal razor blades. And so they have extra measures. They don't do that for certain other things. All right, so here's the deal. Um, This has been going on across the country, but it's gotten some attention. There's, There's a woman, her name is Essie Grundy, and she was shopping the other day at a Walmart in California, and Here's what she said. She says, I was, she's African-American. And she said, I, I was going to buy some cosmetics that are marketed to black women. And, and what I found is they're all locked up. You know, they're in one of these cases that you, you can't just get to. She says, when I walked down the aisle, I saw that Walmart had placed all of the African-American hair and skin products under lock and key. She says, I had to pause. I was in shock um, to purchase a bottle of lotion. She said an employee had to unlock the anti-theft casing and then walk the product to the register before she was allowed to touch it. She said, I felt like I was being treated as a person who might be a thief, even though I have no criminal history. I never want my children or anyone else's children to experience what I did at Walmart that day. And she's now showed up and she has hired uh, celebrity gadfly lawyer Gloria Allred, and she's filing a racial discrimination lawsuit against the against Walmart because they, they've locked this up. Apparently, this is not the only Walmart that has done this. As a matter of fact, apparently there are other retail stores across the country, which is as well, which have locked up cosmetics that are marketed primarily towards the African-American community. All right. Now, Walmart could have rolled over and said, oh, no, no, this is terrible. We're sorry. You know, we apologize. That's not what they did. Here, here's what um, Walmart said. They said, look, measures like this are necessary to prevent shoplifting. We're sensitive to this situation and also understand, like other retailers, that some products such as electronics, automotive, cosmetics, and other personal care products are subject to additional security. 
Those determinations are made on a store-by-store basis using data supporting the need for the heightened measures. We take the situation seriously, and we look forward to addressing it with the court. So what Walmart is saying is, yeah, we, we, we have been in some of our stores. We do, in fact, lock up these particular types of cosmetics like we lock up the um, what's an example like we, we lock up video games are typically locked up we, we lock up the video games um, other electronic type of things and we base this or this determination on where our shoplifting problems are so what Walmart is saying is we're having a particular problem with these type of products being ripped off so yeah they're being locked up 414-799-1620. That is the Af- that's the African. That's the um, Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. These are African-American beauty products or beauty products marketed primarily towards African-American women. And at some of these Walmarts, they are apparently being stolen more than other types of stuff. So, yeah, they're locked up. Should Walmart not be able to do that? Should Walmart have to apologize? Is this racist on their part um, or... Is it just a recognition that, hey, this is the reality that's there? 414-799-1620. The woman says this was appalling. The lawyer says we want an apology. We're suing Walmart. Does Walmart have anything to apologize for? I will tell you where I come down on this if you haven't figured it out, and we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Walmart doesn't deny they do it. They said, yep, we do it. We do it in some stores, and we give the stores the ability to decide to do it based on what is happening in those stores. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, here's the deal. Walmart's lock, like many retailers, they lock up stuff that gets stolen. There's an African-American woman who's shopping at a Walmart store in Southern California. She finds that uh, beauty products designed and marketed primarily towards African-American women are in one of these locked-up cages. She becomes offended that she says, oh, this is racism, this is discrimination, this is awful, that I would have to go get an employee and the employee would have to unlock this. Walmart says, we're not apologizing for anything. Yeah, we, we look at the stuff that gets stolen. And the stuff that gets stolen, we take additional security measures. And these are the type of products, not all over the country, but in some stores, these are the type of products that get stolen a lot. So, yes, we, we do this. I mean, you see it with um, video games, I think. You see it with razor blades. 414-799-1620. Okay, is this, is this racism? Let's start with Steve in Sheboygan. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, sir. What do you think? Well, I work closely with Walmart as a member of law enforcement up here in Sheboygan. I can tell you that they've been over backwards to not be racist in their in their practices. They've, Walmart is, is the victim continuously of crime, and we have to work closely with them to try to address it. And if you Walmart policy, they have a policy called AP 109, and also they have another thing called Five Points of Contact in order to properly identify persons who are committing crimes within the store. And I have worked with them in identifying specific items that are taken. They have a list that comes out that shows them, okay, this quarter, this sure. item was stolen this amount of times. Maybe we need to take extra measures to protect that product. I use the example of televisions. We had televisions stolen. We took uh, measures to work with them to prevent more televisions from being taken. Sure. It's completely empirical. They don't single out one race or group. It goes on data, data alone. Right. Now, and it might be <clears throat> the effect of this. 
okay, it's it's beauty products marketed to African American women. Um, so that might be who, at least who the customers are. But that's the group that's getting stolen. So that's why they're doing it. Just like some stores do it with razor blades. Just like a lot of stores do it with video games and that type of stuff. It's this is what's being stolen. That's why we have to react and do this. And cosmetics are a problem because they're small and they're expensive. We identified multiple smaller items that have a high ticket value. It's easy to steal, steal that product in order to trade it for other, other items. So cosmetics is frequently targeted regardless of who it's marketed to. Cosmetics, because of their price and their small size, right. make them easy to steal. Kind of like razor blades would be my sense. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. No, thanks. I mean, that's what I've always figured. Now, I, I, I mean... I, Look, and I, I, I understand, I don't know that razor blades are targeted towards any one sort of racial group, but I mean, it, it is annoying when I go into a store and you have to either get the thing that's unlocked or fight whatever battle you have to fight, but I understand. The stuff, high markup, um, I understand it gets stolen a lot, so they put in these security measures that are for it. Now, you might say, okay, well, why are they only targeting certain types of cosmetics? Well, my answer would be it's probably because those are the types of cosmetics that are being stolen. You don't want to necessarily have to lock up stuff if you don't have to. But the stuff that's being stolen, and who knows whether it's being stolen by Hispanic women or white women or African-American women are resold. All they know is these are the different different types of products that are being ripped off. Let's talk to Wendy in Paddock Lake. Wendy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, is this racism? I think it is not, and I'd like to ask you this. Do you think it's at the advantage of Walmart that it's only select stores and not across the board? Do I think it's at the advantage of Walmart? Well, yeah. I, I think they, I mean, I I don't know. I think Walmart just does it store by store based on what the problem is with that particular store. Right. That's why I think it's almost to their advantage, because if it was across the board, then I would think it would look worse. But since it's only select stores where they have a problem right. with theft, I think that's almost right. to their benefit. And, and my guess is if you went store by store, you would find in some stores, there's different stuff that's locked up than in other stores, you know. And, and I guess, it, but again, it's like the first guy was saying. It, it's all driven by by data. What, where are our greatest losses? Let's lock this stuff up. I, I'm sure Walmart, in a perfect world, nobody would be stealing stuff from them. They wouldn't want to lock up everything because they want to make it easier for people to buy the stuff. This is more an unfortunate commentary on the people that are stealing the stuff, though, than it is right. on Walmart. Right, exactly. They're doing it out of necessity, not out of racism. Yeah, right. Now, thanks for calling. See, and again, I'm like, it's been a while since I bought a video game. But, you know, video games typically locked up in many of these stores because, again, high ticket, easy to rip off. I mean, have I ever been offended because, gee, they think you're a criminal because this stuff is being locked up? Well, no, I, I'm just, it, it's it's the way it is. Certain times you go, um, certain types of clothing, some of the big ticket, you know, you go into some of these stores and say you want to look at the leather jackets. Well, depending on what the store is, maybe some of that stuff is, you know, locked up and you have to end up, you know, getting somebody to open it up. It's just the way of the world. It is unfortunate, but simply because this this is a product which is targeted towards African-American women. The reality is if it's being stolen by whoever, Walmart needs to do it. And I guess it just drives me crazy that everybody always screams racism. Diane in Waukesha. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I'm recently retired from Walmart, so I can tell you that many of the things are locked up, not just 
because of race, but because of the age. It's a lot of the teenagers who go for the makeup, so they lock it up for them. Mm-hmm. They also lock up calculators and things like Fitbits, fire-end perfumes. It's not just a racist sure. thing. Right, and, I, and my guess is that you, you do that. They do it based on, again, these reports that they look at. What is the stuff that's being shoplifted? How easy is it to shoplift? And we're going to lock up the stuff that we're afraid people are going to steal. And and, and, it, and that our data shows people do steal. I mean, I guess it just it makes sense to me, Diane. I mean, if I were running a business, that's how i do it. People think they're stealing from the Walton family because they're billionaires, but they're stealing from the store associates, as well as the other customers who steal from there, too, or shop yeah. there, too. Yeah, no, th- th- thanks for calling, Diane. I mean, got a note here. Jeff, baby formula is locked up at a lot of places. Yeah, I, it, it, again, it's going to... It's going to depend on the particular store. Let, let's take it aside from Walmart. I mean, there are... There are different types of stores. I'm sure you go all across this country, and you're going to find a huge difference between some stores that feel the need to lock stuff up and other stores that don't feel the need to lock stuff up. And the products that are locked up might vary from store to store, retail store to retail store, depending on whether the store has a problem. But, again, to play the the race card is what is frustrating to me because that's the first reaction. And instead of this lady simply saying, well, gee, I, I, I understand, I, I'd be curious as to why it is. Isn't it unfortunate that I now have to go through, I am inconvenienced in having to find a sales associate to open this up because so many people are stealing this product? That's one way you could look at it. But the way we look at this here is, oh, Walmart is terrible and they're racist. And I'm, Look, Walmart doesn't need me to defend them. That, that's not the point of this. It's just it's the playing the race card when when there's really apparently a very, very good business reason behind this that I find to be frustrating. Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for taking my call, yes, Jeff. Sir. Um, having worked retail for 40-plus years in my life um, and retired now, uh, it, it, it ends up being, you know, at the end of the year, you take inventory and you see these shrink figures, which means how much money, how many items are missing from a particular category. There's things like uh, formula now, and everything is all being locked up along with all the other items you've talked about. And, you know, it, what it ends up is that as these numbers increase in theft, everybody else has to pay for it. So every time a store suffers several hundred thousand dollars in loss of, you know, products over the course of a year, guess where that money goes back in? A nickel, dime here, more on shelf items on the shelves. And we all pay for it. And I, I saw every color and race. It does, shoplifting knows no particular anything. I mean, we can't call it, you know, go to any particular race. I saw them young to old, up to 86 years old, people shoplifting, you know, things that they needed for personal care. And it's sad, but it's true. And it's just the way life is. Right. Or, we, or, or for resale. I mean, Walmart isn't saying we think black people are more inclined to shoplift. What Walmart is saying is this is one of the products that people are shoplifting. So we're trying to protect the product. And, and I guess that's how I would look at something like this. Yeah, and and, I, and like I say, as the shoplifting happens, everyone pays for it. I mean, sure. if people don't think that's why prices go up, that's why they go up, because some stores suffer horrific shrinkage numbers at the end of the year, and it results from all these areas that get shoplifted, be it formula, razors, whatever we've talked about. So. Right. No, thanks for calling. And, and see, and here's the other option. I mean, I mean, the other option, if Walmart can't, or any store, let's even take the Walmart out of it, if you if you can't protect the goods that are being stolen with a method like this, because then you're going to be accused of being racist, what what are you going to do? Well, you're not going to carry the items. I mean, that that is the logical, if, if it's like, okay, well, you know, this item is getting stolen, 
So, you know, we want to protect it. No, 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 you can't protect it. If you do it this way, you're racist. Okay, so then if I'm Walmart, I'm saying, okay, well, we can't, we can't have this stuff being ripped off right and left. So you know what? We're just not going to carry it. So then how, I mean, how do you feel then? The lady's walking down the aisle looking for whatever these particular products are that she wants to buy, and then they, they don't even carry them because they say, well, no, it's just getting stolen too much. I mean, that's, look, it is an unfortunate thing about what is going on in today's society. I, I was thinking of other examples as we were talking. I, I know a guy who, who runs a very, very good liquor store, all right? And, you know, in a lot of liquor stores, they've got... Most of the liquor is out, you know, on the shelves. You can just go grab a bottle. There are certain bottles of the really high-end liquor, for example, that are behind the counter, all right? You know, and they just want to be there. And I think, you know, it's one thing, okay, you can take it if, if somebody rips off a $20 bottle of Jim Beam bourbon. That's bad. But, you know, you can take that. You don't want somebody ripping off a $400 special bottle of bourbon, so you have extra controls on that. All these different types of things make sense. It pains me sometimes to defend Walmart, but this isn't about racism, despite what celebrity gadfly lawyer Gloria Allred wants to say. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. More than 100 big league names still sit on the free agent list in Major League Baseball. Is the time right for the Brewers to strike during this unusual offseason? Greg Matzik thinks so, and he begins the debate at 6.35 this evening on Sports Central. When we come back after the news, is the Me Too movement already starting to backfire? Should we ban menthol cigarettes? And what's going on with Boston Store? Stick around. It's 12.59. 109, this is Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, <laughs> um, you you and your wife, I assume from time to time, when you go out for evenings, um, you will get a babysitter for the kids? Sure, yeah. Okay. Um, the babysitters, do they tend to be young females? Uh, almost exclusively. Okay, all right. No, <laughs> yes. no, 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 no. no it, it's, I should tell you I'm going to do this before I just bring it, because you're kind of <laughs> no, like, going, no, 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 but okay, so, so that, that's it. So you and your wife... You know, you mm-hmm. what were we talking about? Fourteen-year-old like girls and yeah, things like yeah. that. Okay, so you you know you, you hire somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get home, do you, who takes them home? The girls home. Do you take them home, or do the, does your wife take them home? Always have my wife take them home. You always have your mm-hmm. wife take them home, mm-hmm. and and why is that? It's not that I don't trust them or anything like that. I just don't want to be in a car at night with anyone by myself where something would be said or mistaken. I, I just don't want to put myself oh. in a position to to get someone in trouble. Well, and don't feel bad because I have a number of friends who are in exactly the same situation that that you are. You know, and you and and the it is always the wife that takes the and. Mm-hmm. I, I and it's in every example I can think of. It, it's a a young girl who's young woman who's babysitting, sure, yeah. and it's it's my friends, my male friends will not get in the car with like the twelve or thirteen or fourteen year old girl and drive them home. Not because they're bad guys, right? right. Just because they don't want to be in a situation where anybody can say any. They're just nervous yes, about that. Absolutely, you're right on the money. That's right. why. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Good. Now. Okay. Thank you. See. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I apologize again. We should run these no, things. No like, He's like, oh, oh, god! I just maybe go on and say that people think I'm a child molester. <laughs> no, no, no. It's no, no. But it, but that that's a no. That that actually ties into what I'm going to talk. But that is a valid concern. Like I say, my I never had kids, but my friends who were in that situation 
to a T, it's always the wife which will take the, the girl home, the teenage babysitter home. I, I bring this up because there's been a lot of conversation over the course of the last you know, several months, ever since the whole Harvey Weinstein thing hit the fan, there's been a, a lot of conversation. And you've got this Me Too movement where you have all the, these women who are coming forward and are uh, accusing powerful men and sometimes not so powerful men of taking liberties and being, you know, improper behavior. And the, the one, there's no question, there's a lot of good stuff which is coming out of the Me Too movement. It's causing people to, you know, reassess the way, you know, men treat women in in the workplace and and things that guys might think are okay or normal really aren't. It's also, you know, in the case of people like Harvey Weinstein, exposing people who've been just just creeps and are arguably maybe even criminals for the part, last part of the last 10 or 15 years. So we're, we're focusing a lot of attention appropriately on you know the way the different genders react into the workplace, and that's all good. There is this other aspect of the Me Too movement, which is coming to the fore, though, and there was a fascinating, an absolutely fascinating piece in the Miami Herald the other day because there are certain unintended consequences for example, what is happening more and more in the workplace, particularly in the political workplace, state capitals, but also in the workplace in general, is that more and more men are refusing to meet with women privately without there being a I'm going to use the word chaperone for want of a of a better thing. So you have a situation. So let's say you've got a Republican legislator or a Democrat legislator. You've got a male legislator and there's a, an aide or there's, I, I don't know, a constituent or something, someone who wants to come in and, you know, wants to have the meeting. More and more of the male politicians, and this, again, tracks into business, too, are saying, no, we're not going to have any more just one-on-one meetings because we are concerned that, you know, maybe something will be said, um, there'll be a misunderstanding or a miscommunication about what is said. And so, you know, we, we want a witness there. We want, you know, the chaperone there, just like, you know, lots of guys end up having their wife drive the 14-year-old or the 13-year-old babysitter home after, you know, they come home after a night. And, of course, now what's happening is there's a little bit of backlash of this. Some of the women are saying, well, this isn't right. You know, we're they're not uncomfortable meeting with another male behind closed doors, but they are singling out females. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I admit this is the type of thing that six months ago or a year ago you – I, I don't think anybody would have necessarily thought about. You're a manager. You're a male manager, and you know you've got you know a, a female who works in a subordinate sort of position. You know they come in, they want to talk about something, they close the door. The Me Too movement now has a lot of those male managers saying, "I don't want these one-on-one meetings because uh, again, I don't want something I say to be mis- misconstrued or misinterpreted. Um, I need." I need a witness there. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up. Is this an unreasonable reaction? 
Is this in and of itself discriminatory? The idea that you now have particularly men who are in positions of authority who are concerned enough that they no longer want to have one-on-one meetings. 414-799-1620. Is this an overreaction, or can you understand where this comes from? Similarly, can you understand, like I say, all these different guys I know who choose not to drive the 14-year-old babysitter home, not because they intend to molest her, just because they don't want to be in that situation where... They get accused of something, innocent or not. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. Is this kind of the fallout for the Me Too movement? I am not surprised at all, and to me, this is now just the logical extension of, like I say, honey, you drive the babysitter home. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And I guess I'd be particularly curious about, you know, women, would you be offended if, you know, you wanted a meeting with your boss and your boss wanted somebody there i mean is that is that a form of discrimination or is it just something that makes sense in today's business climate 414-799-1620 we discuss next it's 116 this is jeff wagner wtmj 120 jeff wagner wtmj if you're just tuning in there's a really fascinating story in the miami herald yesterday about the effect of the, the me too movement which i think has accomplished a lot of stuff certainly highlighted uh, abuses that women have had to put up with and one of the but one of the the effects of this is now more and more males particularly male managers male politicians or whatever they are now refusing to meet one on one with female subordinates uh, largely because they don't want to get into a he said, she said sort of thing. It's not that they're not going to take meetings, but they're not going to be one-on-one meetings anymore. And the example I give is that's why, like I say, a lot of guys I know, um, they, they won't drive the 14-year-old babysitter home. It's, it's always their wife that does that. I I understand why this is happening. Mike on the south side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I don't think that that's right, but I think it's just common sense and it's been bred out of this. Um, movement, and I guess I stopped doing lunches one-on-one with female um, coworkers mm-hmm. and female, um, client, uh, you know, prospective top outside sales. We're eighty, ninety percent male, you know, company and the industry as a whole is probably those same numbers. I don't do that anymore, and it, it, you know, it's just I think it's going to swing back the other way in four or five years or however it manifests itself. That women, then again, not blaming them, but there's going to be opportunities that are going to be lost. Or there's going to be that, you know, that backlash against what well, we're losing opportunities, or it's a boys' yeah. club, or those types of of, um, of criticisms. And you know, that's why, you know, I guess I'm glad that they let women into, you know, we're particularly all male institutions with the private clubs. And I never was a member of any golf club or anything like that. But that kind of used to be a guy's place, right? You know. And uh, then that there was inclusion, but this does happen, and unfortunately, I think it's a common sense approach to it. So well, well, it is. no, no. Thanks for calling. See, and and that's that is just the the effect of it, and it's not saying. Look, and, and I understand there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind closed doors, and you're, you're certainly seeing that with this Me Too movement where you've had particularly males. Now, sometimes the shoe is on the other foot, but largely it's the male who's in the position of authority who behaves in the boorish um, harassing illegal fashion, and, be, and, and so that's the concern. But I, I will tell you, I think there's a lot of other guys who are there and saying, okay, well, you know, I, I just I want to protect myself because I, I – I know the way I am. 
and I'm just worried I don't want to get that false claim. And I'm not suggesting that all the claims of harassment are false. Far from it. But it's one of these things where I can understand where people would want to protect themselves because, you know, you don't want to get into that situation where you say something and for whatever reason somebody says, okay, that this is that's not what I heard or that's not what happened. I understand and I think actually this is going to become the the norm. And I, I think it might even get to the extent where even with whether it's a woman and a woman or a man and a man, you, you just don't have those meetings without there being a third party present. And I, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. Bob in Richfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good morning or good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, um, I just wanted to mention the fact that before this Me Too movement came out, uh, I teach a class at my church called Royal Rangers, which is a church based scouting program. In that program, years ago, we have been trained never to go into a classroom setting with one boy and a commander. It's always two or three boys and a commander can go. Or if you go to a class and there's uh, only one boy, you got to go find another commander to sit with you because you don't want that one-on-one because you don't want to be accused of anything and lose your integrity because of that. Even if it's not true, right. you don't want to take that responsibility. It's the same thing with women. You can't. You don't want to lose your integrity because someone accuses you of something, so you're trained to either go with someone right. or have supervision of some type. You you always want that, that prover. You want the, the witness. So if exactly. somebody were to falsely accuse you of doing something inappropriate again make if a false accusation you've said hey that we weren't it wasn't by my we weren't alone here you know jeff was with me ask jeff he'll tell you nothing inappropriate went on right so to us it's nothing new it's 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 business as usual Mm -hmm. maintain your integrity by Having, by not doing things alone like that, yes. Yeah, no, I did, and thanks. I and I see. I just think this is going to become the norm, and I, I do think our first caller was right that at some point in time there there may be this backlash. That's the whole point of the Miami Herald article because you know there, there's perhaps going to be some women who are going to say, "Wait, you know, we're not getting the same access um, to the, the boss." Because, you know, we don't have these one-on-one alone meetings with the boss, whereas he might do that with, you know, one of his, one of the male people that, that work for him. I mean, actually, I, I think what's going to happen is I think you're going to see just fewer and fewer in-person meetings. And I, I don't I, I don't know how you're going to work that out, but I do think that that's kind of the future of this. And it's, it's one of the effects of the whole Me Too movement. Mike and Fond du Lac. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. You know, um, I spent a long time in the military. That's kind of been the norm there for quite a while. Um, You know, everything you're going to say is kind of scripted out before you get there, and there's always a third party there. And, you know, from personal experience, let me tell you, the people that were uh, through caution in the wind said, oh, I'm not going to do anything wrong, nothing will happen. Those are the people that ended up getting called on it because something would happen. And then the question would come up, say, why did you have a one-on-one with that person? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, I thought I'd be fine. Well, that's not the right answer. Well, right, because you never know what you're you're getting into. I mean, some let, let's let's take the typical thing where it's a guy and a gal. Some guys are just naturally boorish and they don't understand the limits. Um, some people, some of the women, might hear things or read stuff into it that the boss didn't intend. You know, you just never know. But you know, you who wants to get in the middle of something like that, especially if there was no illicit intent? Right? You know, that's the last thing that anybody wants. So this, you think this is just going to be the future once it goes into the private sector as well, huh? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be the norm because you just don't know. It becomes, he said, she said, you know, a side-eye glance or, you know, turns into a leer. You know, it's it's dangerous. No, I, I think, I, again, and this is, I mean, and this is one of those things. And it's the, like they, the story that I was reading in the Miami Herald focuses, I want to say it's on the Texas legislature. Most of the lawmakers are men. A lot of the aides are females, all right? And, of course, you know, a lot of these complaints, I mean, we've seen it, whether it's in Congress or whether it's in state houses, have been, you know, alleged mistreatment by the, in most cases, male elected officials and the the staffers. And so, again, this is one of these things. Now a lot of staffers, a lot of the officials are just saying, look, I just don't want to go down this route. I don't want to risk this stuff. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to be misquoted. Um, I, it's just we're, we're not going to meet one-on-one anymore. And I think that's going to be one of the legacies of the Me Too movement. I don't judge whether it's good or bad. I just think it is one of the legacies. It's 127. When we come back. New Jersey is about to become the first state to ban menthol cigarettes. Their reasoning is interesting. Stick around. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We'll continue to keep you apprised of all the problems on the roadways and of course with more snow coming in and bitter cold looks like it's going to be another challenging ride home a nurse during the vietnam war is now sharing her story of what she did overseas and what you can do here at home to help our veterans she sits down with john mccure today at three thirty-four on wisconsin's afternoon news be sure and check that out all right should this be a crime here's the story um happened August of last year, the guy lives in Indiana. His name is Mark May. And, and here's what happens. He says he's driving um, on, on the freeway. He's driving along US 41. And what he, happens, what he says is he's got this uh, police car, a squad car uh, driven by a, a trooper whose name is Matt Ames. So he's an Indiana state trooper who um, May says the trooper is pursuing another motorist, going to want to pull the guy over, and he says that the trooper pulls in front of him and cuts him off. Okay, so the guy says, cop pulls in front of me, he's going after somebody else, he cuts me off. So what the motorist does, what this Mark May does, is he says, all right, he says, as I'm driving by him, the cop has cut me off to get to this other guy. As I am driving by him, he commonly he acknowledges that he makes a gesture commonly known as giving the finger to the the police officer so the cop has cut him off to pull over somebody else as he goes past he makes an obscene gesture at the police officer as soon as as soon as the police officer sees this guy make the obscene gesture he apparently leaves the car that he's getting ready to ticket and starts chasing down the guy who flipped him off um, Ames pursued him, pulled him over, and ticketed him for provocation. The Indiana Criminal Code says a person who recklessly, knowingly, or intentionally engages in conduct that is likely to provoke a reasonable person to commit battery commits provocation. So in other words, you made an obscene gesture at me. That is provocation because it was likely to promote a reasonable person to commit battery all right now the aclu 
is on the side of the guy who made the obscene gesture. They said, look, this is expressive conduct fully protected by the First Amendment. While perhaps ill-advised, the gesture in no way interfered with the trooper's lawful activities. Further, they say the state trooper had no cause whatsoever to initiate the stop. This was an un, uh, unconstitutional siege, um, seizure. The driver is employed. The guy who made the obscene gesture is employed, self-employed as a carpet cleaner. He says he had to miss two days of work because of court appearances and he lost income. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, here's the the question, really. I I think our society would be much better off if people treated each other in a more civil fashion. At the same time, you drive down the roadways on almost any given day, and you will see one motorist making this gesture at another motorist. It's just something that ends up happening. Maybe you have, in fact, made this gesture at someone, friend or foe, in the past. Is this a crime? Should you have, and again, I'm not endorsing the action. Maybe it's boorish. Maybe it's rude. Maybe it's uncivil. But merely the act of making the obscene gesture at the police officer, should that have been a crime? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess maybe this is one that you're going to feel free to disagree with me on because I, I'm in the uncomfortable situation of defending what I think is is rude behavior because I do think it's rude behavior. But candidly, I don't think it should be a crime. And, you know, if if somebody wants to drive by a police officer and make this gesture, I, I think... I think they have a right to do it. I would not encourage it, but it's one thing to say, okay, this is rude, it's uncivil, it's crude, who were you raised by? And it's another thing to say that you could be fined and or sent to jail for doing that, and I just don't think it's that type of violation. And candidly, I mean, unless you're going to start pulling over people every time they do something like this, I think this was a police officer who just should have let it go. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Roger in Wind Lake. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. You know what? I'm a law enforcement officer in Milwaukee County, and I absolutely kind of agree. I agree with what you're saying. I don't think it should be illegal either. It's not illegal in Wisconsin. Um, I'll be going downtown the courts, and you'll have some guy flip you the middle bur- uh, the finger and laugh about it. And I just uh, wave back at them and smile because it's ridiculous. It's trashy. Um, a lot of times we take road rage complaints. Well, he, he cut me off and then he flipped me off, you know, and they start going in. And nine times out of ten, those situations are going to be we're either arresting you both for disorderly conduct or nobody's getting arrested. We're going to separate you guys and let you, right. let you go. Um, I don't think this middle figure thing should be illegal. Right. You know, now, and now, now it might rise to the over. level. You know, you made an interesting point, Roger, because you were talking about, you know, you get in a situation where it, it's disorderly conduct. 
my guess is a lot of times it might start with somebody flipping the bird and then it kind of escalates and then you got pushing or shoving or somebody takes a swing at somebody else and then you're off to the races, which I, I have no problem with at all if somebody ends up getting arrested. But here, that's not what this guy did. He was mad at the police officer for cutting him off. So as he drives by, he makes the obscene gesture. I think he has a right to do it. Might not be the right thing to do, but I think he has a right to do that. Absolutely. The officer should have just continued to pull over the guy he was going to pull over, finish that line of business, and went on with his day. And that's what, I've, that's what I would have done, and I think that's what is reasonable in life to do. Yeah, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. And like I said, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this topic to an extent because it sounds like I'm endorsing bad behavior and making obscene gestures at police officers, and, and I, I'm not. But the question becomes, you know, is this is it a crime? Might not be a good idea to do that. Might draw the attention of the police officer in a way that you don't want. And it's it's disrespectful. But is it a crime? And is it a crime if you only make that obscene gesture at a at a police officer? Or is it a crime every time you make that obscene gesture? And if, if that's going to be the case, I guess my question is going to be, you know, how, how you know, how are we going to really fill our courts with people every time somebody makes an obscene gesture at somebody else is that going to rise to the level of of a crime let's talk to mike in oshkosh mike you're on wtmj hello hi how are you doing jeff well well, thank you what do you think i think the cop missed his opportunity to charge the guy with what really happened he had to take his eyes off the road to give that cop the finger for more than five seconds and that is an attentive driving so if i if i you know i myself want to flip people off but I was a victim of an inattentive driving accident, and the guy who killed the other guy and me only got charged with inattentive driving because his computer only showed that he didn't step on the gas or release the brake or step on the gas, brakes or release the gas for five seconds. Yeah. So to me, that indicates five seconds of not paying attention, inattentive driving. Yeah, well, I, I mean, thank, I, mean I, I don't know what the Indiana statutes are in inattentive driving and, and what... What that means, would you have to be able to say the guy swerved or, or what exactly it, it was? But regardless, that's not what he got ticketed for. I mean, he got ticketed for the, the act of, of making the obscene gesture, which is like the equivalent of this. It, they, they call it provocation. To me, it's it's like the disorderly conduct statutes that we we have here. And I guess, again, I just I look at this. Don't come. Don't, don't take away from this 12-minute segment, segment on the radio that, oh, that guy on the radio, you know, the former prosecutor and all is saying that it's okay to give people, make obscene gestures. I, I'm, I'm not. I, just, I think we'd be much better off if people didn't do it. At the same time, I think you have to be really careful about what you're going to consider to be a crime. And like I say, I can understand how a lot of times making that obscene gesture might be the trigger point, and it might start into leading into a, a larger provocation, and then you are off to the races and you've got disorderly conduct. But in and of itself, I do believe that that is a protected gesture. It might not be a very wise one. And my guess is that, um, my guess is that at least as interpreted, this is not this these tickets aren't going to be upheld. It's 145. When we come back, the war on menthol cigarettes stick around. It's 148 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Cruz producing the show today and always. Were you ever a smoker? Never smoked at all. Okay. Um me neither. Me neither. I just, um, it was actually one of the best things that happened to me is I was a freshman in college 
and I had a, a collapsed lung. I was walking to class one day, and and what happens is the way they explained it to me is if you ever, if you ever like have this unexplained chest pain. Uh, occasionally what happens is little air bubbles form in your lung, and when they pop, that's what causes the pain. Your lung is like a balloon. And every once in a while, especially in young men who at the time are tall and thin, and I was tall and thin. I'm still tall, not so necessarily thin anymore. But every once in a while, the, the these bubbles get so big that when they pop, they pop the lung. I thought I was having a heart attack. It's my freshman year in college. I'm sitting in, I'm walking to class, and all of a sudden I get this sharp stabbing pain in the left side of my chest. My left arm is numb, and I'm getting this pain. And I'm going, my God, I'm having a heart attack. And I, I remember going down to the local hospital, and uh, I'm saying, I think I'm having a heart attack. And they kept saying, you're too young. You're too young to have a heart attack. And then the nurse is going, get a doctor down here. You know, it's like, But it, it, was, it, it was kind of a scary sort of thing. Now, back nowadays, I think they... They, they operate right away, and they kind of knit it over, and then your lung inflates. Back in the day when I had this happen, they, they didn't do that. They just said, well, it'll heal up. I said, what do you mean it'll heal up? Is it'll heal up. You know, in a couple of days, it just knits over. And I said, well, what happens if the other one goes? And they said, well, then you're in trouble. So, I mean, it's little, three, three or four days. I, I'm sitting there. I'm afraid to move. And then it was just the wildest thing because it did heal up all of a sudden, and then your lung inflates automatically. Um, I digress. But anyhow. That that incident that had nothing to do with bad lungs or anything was just a freak thing. It just convinced me that I was never going to smoke cigarettes just because I, I understand some people like them, but it's just not a healthy type of thing. All right. Um, menthol cigarettes are very, very popular. They estimate that menthol-flavored cigarettes are the type of cigarettes that young people, if you're going to start smoking, a lot of people start smoking with menthol cigarettes. Menthol cigarettes are also extremely popular in, in certain parts of various minority communities across the, the country. So, um, and like the numbers would show, at least in some cases, for example, disproportionate amount of black smokers in certain areas, you know, smoke menthol cigarettes. Um, tobacco fl- companies, going back to 2009, were essentially forced to take flavorings out of cigarettes because the argument was they were targeting kids. Well, that never applied to menthol cigarettes. So you still have these menthol cigarettes that are made. In addition, uh, what happens is because menthol has sort of a cooling effect, apparently, at least what some people say is, you can take a deeper draw of a menthol cigarette than you can of a regular cigarette, and so you can get more carcinogens in. So, I mean, the argument is, okay, this is this is the gateway. Lots of kids start smoking because of menthol. They're even more harmful than other types of cigarettes because you have the deeper draw, and a disproportionate members of, members of certain minority groups might be more inclined to start smoking or keep smoking because of menthol. Now, this is the background of what's going on in New Jersey. Last year, um, California, San Francisco, became the first city to approve a ban on menthol cigarettes. Um, Legislation banning menthol cigarettes was approved last week by a New Jersey Assembly Committee, and um, they think it's got a good chance of passing. So let's tee this up, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this an unreasonable violation of smokers' rights? Um, you know, if, if you're an adult, should you have the right to choose what kind of cigarette you want? And does it really make any difference if you're smoking camels 
or if you're smoking Winston's or if you're smoking Cools or whatever other menthol cigarette they may be. Is this government overreach given the fact that cigarette smoking is legal? Um, or does it make sense? Is is smoking a menthol cigarette more addictive? Does it is it designed to attract younger smokers? Are you a menthol cigarette smoker, and how would you feel about it being banned? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And mark my words, again, this this is the current trend with regard to cigarette smoking. It's now we're going after flavoring, and in particular, we're going after menthol. Should menthol cigarettes be outlawed? I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, but I'm curious as to your reaction. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 153. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Kim in South Milwaukee. Kim, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Okay, should the government ban menthol cigarettes? North New Jersey's thinking about doing that. No, I think, <laughs> I, I can't even believe that this is actually going to happen. I smoke menthol cigarettes. Now I smoke normal. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. You're talking about smoking and then you go on a coughing yeah. fit. See, bad well, thing I, there, Kim. <laughs> you know, I was blowing groceries up the stairs as you, as I got on. So. Got it. Okay. <laughs> but no one is, no one should be able to tell me what I can and cannot do with my body. Mm-hmm. If I want, I know smoking is bad, but if I feel like smoking, <laughs> A clove, I know, I have a cold, wrong probably conversation to have, but <laughs> if I want to smoke a clove cigarette, a menthol, a red, that's my business. Right. I mean, it's not a dictatorship. Have you always smoked menthol cigarettes? Uh, no. Okay, got it. I started with Winston, and then I just went to menthol because they're... Minty. <laughs> okay, no, good, because you like the taste. No, I mean, thanks, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Take, take care of the cold there. I, um, you know, I actually agree. I, and look, and I, I'm, I'm death on cigarette smoking. I, I am, because I, I think it's, it's bad for you. Um, but at the same time, I've always acknowledged that I do stuff that's bad for me, and I don't want people saying, well, you, you, you shouldn't have that glass of bourbon or whatever, Jeff. But at the same time, I, I think it's, I think this type of stuff is government overreach. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the fact that one of the reasons you have this menthol flavoring is because the cigarette companies know that some smokers are going to be more inclined to want to do that. But as long as this is a legal product, I just don't think we should be picking and choosing, well, you can have this flavor, but you can't have that flavor. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. I think that lady uh, needs to quit her menthol. <laughs> well, she says she's got a cold, so I'm going to cut her a break. Oh, but yeah, I'll cut her. I'll cut her. I'll cut her some slack there. Right. Uh, but I'm I'm just going to say I think that it's the government's first step in uh, trying to ban legal tobacco, and they're part, they're starting with the uh, largest segment of the uh, tobacco users, the menthol, which is like thirty percent or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like thirty to forty, sometimes even more, depending in certain areas. Yeah. yeah. I think that's their ultimate goal, which is wrong. I think that it's legal and people should have a choice to do it or not do it. It's up to them, not the government. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I, I, I guess I, I agree with you. And this is, again, don't don't interpret, just like the last segment was an endorsement of driving past the trooper and making an obscene gesture at him. This is not an endorsement of smoking, period, much less smoking menthol cigarettes. But at the same time, I, I think the discussion we have to have in this country with regard to tobacco is, is, is it such a dangerous thing? Is it such a, a draw on society's resources um, that, that we want to ban it? And can we, in fact, you know, make that ban work? That's the conversation we need to be having as opposed to saying okay well you've got various types of of tobacco and we're not going to allow you to 
again, you know, make these these menthol cigarettes. Um, does it make people maybe is it more of a gateway? Well, I would concede that, but still. It's a legal product, and I, I think laws like this and efforts like this are perhaps well-intentioned, but what would be the phrase, ill-conceived. When we come back, another brawl at Riverside, Boston store struggles, and lots more. Stick around. It's 159. It's 2-8. This is Jeff Wagner. Um, there's no other way to say this except holy bucket. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is in a complete and total crash. I mean, I, I don't mean to alarm. It, it's down 1,093 points, which is 4.3%. If this continues, now it's down um, 1,100. It will be the largest single-day point drop of the Dow ever. At least as near as I'm able to figure it out. Um, the the other the biggest the largest single day point loss of the Dow. Now I'm going to put this in context in just a minute. Was on September 29th of 2008 um, when it dropped 777 points. Now there is a difference. There, there's an asterisk that goes with this because the the, the percentage drop right now. The, the Dow Jones Industrial is much higher now than it was in 2008 you know it's still at 24,000 so a, a drop of now now it's down 13,000 uh, 1,300 points wow it's down 1,300 points um that is that's a five percent drop so even at 1,362 points just plummeting the bottom's just falling out 1,362 points that's 5.3 percent the largest one-day drop like I say, was 777 points. So this is about 600 points right now with another 50 minutes to go before the stock market closes. Um, this will be, well, by far and away, it's going to just blow the doors off, the single largest one-day drop. That said, right now it's still only, and I said only, it's a little bit over a 5% one-day drop in the market. The largest drop ever percentage-wise was uh, October 19th, 1987, when it dropped 22%. Um, and then you go to um, then you go to some of the days where the crash, you have to go back to 1929 with some of the big percentage drops. So even though this is a huge point drop, it's not, again, percentage-wise, it's probably not going to even be in the top 20 of the worst days, and that's simply because, again, it's much higher. But now it's down 1,500 points. Every time you click on it, it refreshes. It's just going down and down and down. Now, of course, this is after this is after a run-up where, you know, you had weeks and weeks and weeks where the Dow just went up and up and up. So inevitably, there was going to be some bubble bursting. It's kind of, um, I, I don't know that any of us saw that it was going to be coming to this extent. And again, I'm not sure that anybody knows exactly what's going on. A lot of the analysis says that part of what's happening is you've got this computer-driven selling that is making it worse because a lot of these big brokerage houses and mutual funds, they've got these computer programs that kick in, you know, once there's been a certain drop and then they start selling, which amplifies this. But um, a lot of people are going to probably be analyzing this later on. But again, a point wise, it looks to me like we are looking at the largest one day point drop 
in history. Percentage-wise, not even close. But uh, still, down 1,400 points. The NASDAQ is off. Uh, that's down 254. That's off 3.5%. Um, a lot of the gains over the last several months are being given back between uh, Friday and today. They're being given back in just kind of a two-day period of time, which, again, this is what inspires some people to say, well, that this is why you want to time the market. Just imagine if you were uh, – imagine if you'd sold everything on Wednesday or Thursday, and then, then, you know, you would have been able to protect your capital. Well, the problem is if you sell everything, you don't know when the market's going to start going back up. And now it's kicking in a little bit just – a minute ago, it was down 1,500. Now it's down uh, 1,200. Still a bad day, but not quite as much. Very, very volatile, and I think this is going to be one of those days where a lot of people are going to wait for 47 minutes till the market finally closes. All right, this is something we made reference to, I made reference to last week. It, it came to fruition last night. Bonton, which is the, the parent company of Boston Store, Yonkers, and various other stores. Last week, they announced that they were closing a number of stores across the the country, including seven or eight stores in Wisconsin. Last night, uh, Bonton announced that they were um, going into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. What that means is it it gives them the opportunity to try to – they can't pay their bills. So what it does is it gives Chapter 11 gives them an opportunity to try to reorganize, maybe sell off some things in an effort to continue as an ongoing business. What did I hear them saying this morning on Wisconsin's Morning News? Um, the stock is now trading at like 15 cents a share. Now, you might say, oh, this means it's a great buy. This is jump in. Well, here here's the problem. It's a lot easier to go from 15 cents to zero than it is to go from 15 cents to $5. So, <clears throat> I mean, there, there's reasons why. But, you know, Boston Store, which, of course, has been like an institution in the Midwest, uh, this kind of demonstrates clearly that there's something going on here. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can Bonton, can Boston Store be saved? And this is going to segue into something I want to talk about as well. But... um are the days of these type of of stores, the the full service department store, are they done? Are the Macy's, the Boston stores? I mean, think back on some of the brands that used to be around here. You know, you'd have Gimbel's and J.C. Penney's. Um, are are these sort of full service department stores? We've all seen what's been happening with Sears. Are they all going to go the way of the dinosaur, whether it's because of the Internet or changing consumer tastes? Can department stores survive? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 215. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the Dow's made a comeback. It just It's weird. It's like a roller coaster. Um... The Dow was down 1,500 points, what, five, six, seven minutes ago. Now it's it's down 900 points, which still would be, by my calculation, the largest single-day point drop in history. Not percentage drop, not even close on that, um, but who knows where it's going to finish. But just a lot of volatility going on in the stock market and a lot of money being given back just it's, just, it's just amazing. You kind of watch this stuff going up and down. All right, um, last night. Bonton indicating that they were um, going to go into bankruptcy. 
Um, they've announced the closing of several type of other stores. Um, I, I think you know this is this is reflective of what I think is this larger problem that ends up being out there. But candidly, you know, the big question is, you know, is is this signaling the end? of the big-time department stores. Will on the east side. Will, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are I'm, you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Is this the oh, end? You know, I have one. I was telling your screener, over Christmas, I was looking for Christmas presents between mom and other family members, and I had called one, okay, the one we're mentioning that was in the newscast today, okay. Customer service really kind of was not good to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, after being on, you know, hold, I wanted, first of all, I wanted men's shoes. Then I got switched over to jewelry, and then I got something else. I'm going, normally I'm kind of patient, <laughs> but, you know, after 10 minutes going through it, I can just go online. Well, right, especially since you go online, and if you know what you're looking for, three minutes later you've got it ordered, and if you belong to Amazon Prime, it's getting delivered a day or two uh, after that. That, that. That is totally true. And another thing, too, I hate to say it, some of those people that work in some of these department stores, it, it's like you're just an inconvenience when you walk in there. Hmm. You know, it, it's like, okay, it, it's just a job. You know. Some people are nice. Yes, don't, don't right. But well, it's, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, is, it does get to be a, a mess from time to time. I, I mean, it, it's interesting. I had I, – I, I'm not a shopper, okay? I, I mean, I'm a buyer, but we were, it was sometime it – was, it was over the Christmas break. I, I remember some time, and my wife – Wanted to go into Boston store because she, we were we were going to an event in the next night or two, and she wanted to pick up a top. She had coupons or whatever, and I, I will tell you, it was there, there wasn't enough help. It was just I it, this was before, it was before Christmas, and there there wasn't enough help. Um, there were only in this. It seemed like you know aisles and aisles and aisles and sections of clothing. It was only like two people that were ringing up stuff, and one of the women was occupied because somebody was trying to take something back or whatever. And you know there end up being these like long lines. And I was just thinking, this is not the way to run a store because candidly, and I'm not I'm not picking on the I'm not picking on the help or anything like that. But you know you couldn't even check out. I mean even if you find what you want, you're sitting there, and after about 15 minutes of just waiting to pay. For for whatever the item is, and standing in line, I'm watching all these people just put down the clothing and start to walk off. That's where I started to think that there was some degree of trouble, because especially with some of these stores that end up struggling, it becomes a death spiral, because what ends up happening is, all right, more people don't, okay, the sales drop a little bit. So what you do is you start cutting back on your help. You lay off some associates or whatever. All right, so then when the people that do go into the store that want to shop, there's not anybody to help them or there's longer waits or whatever, and they get frustrated. It ends up being this spiral, and, and I think you're, you're seeing this with, with Boston Store. And, and it's I don't know that it's one factor alone because there's all sorts of other things that are going on, but this makes me wonder about the larger point, which is, you know, what is the future of retail in this country? Um, you know, Bayshore Town Center. I, if you're a regular listener, you know, I grew up in Glendale. And when we first moved here, when, when I was a kid, Bayshore was an L-shaped kind of like strip mall. And there was a Sears on one end, and there was a Boston store in the middle. And then there was like, I think, a grocery store at the other end of, of the L. And I, I've watched 
as somebody who's lived in the North Shore all my life, I, I've watched, you know, how that's progressed. And it went from like an enclosed mall when malls were big. And then going back about 10 years ago, they came out with this, this, this idea of let's make it a town center, which means most of it is not going to be enclosed. There's still a, a mall portion of it, but at the same time, you've got all these other stores that are outside. I admit that when they launched Bayshore Town Center, I was one of these skeptics. I said, well, gosh, who's going to want to walk outside and shop at all these different retail stores, you know, in in February when it's minus six degrees outside? But over the course of the last 10 years, Bayshore has been a success. In part, it's been a success because they were able to attract, I, I think, high-end stores that brought people in. Well, I mean, the, the news out of Bayshore has been kind of bad lately. The, you know, the Sears is gone. Now, they've been wanting to get rid of the Sears for the longest time. Um, you had the Sports Authority, which was a big store. Sports Authority went bankrupt, so now that's vacant. The announcement last week is, you know, J. Crew, which is, of course, one of the classic clothing retailers. Um, you know, they're gone. Vera Bradley closed last week. They're starting to see store after store after store closed. Now, they've still got a decent nucleus. You've got an Apple store. You've got a Banana Republic. You've got a Brooks Brothers, all those different stores that are there. But, you know, what's going on with Bayshore Town Center is the same problem that you're starting to see go on with lots of these different stores. Uh, they've got a, a Barnes & Noble there as well. What you're starting to see is there's more and more challenges to retail. And... You know, you, you look at Bayshore Town Center in particular, and even though that Boston store at Bayshore isn't on the closing list, you wonder kind of what the future of this is going moving forward. I think, in part, that the future of retail, these full-service department stores, I think they are going to end up going the way of the dinosaur moving forward, or, or newspapers. I, I think there's, you know, you've got the big box Retailers. There's always going to be space for the, the Walmarts and the Targets of the world and things like that. But the full-service retailers that have everything from men's suits to furniture to appliances, I think those are going to be the ones that struggle. And I think you're going to see more and more. Again, there's always going to be people that are going to want to shop at some of the specialty stores, but it's going to be a challenge. And if I was a number one, a mall developer. I'm not sure there's too many people out there developing malls nowadays. Or if I was a mall owner, I would look at some of these things that are going on and recognize that the days of the giant anchor tenant, the Boston stores, the Sears, the, the whatever, um, those days have passed. And I think for more and more people, it's it's high-end specialty stores that have something that somebody's willing to go to specifically. Is it the end of... Again, town centers, no, I don't think so. But I think, for example, Bayshore Town Center is going to look dramatically different five years from now than it does today. Just saying. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tired of overpriced food at sporting events? Our very own Gene Miller explains how one stadium has taken the lead on changing that and how our local teams may want to follow suit. Check out his latest blog on the Wisconsin's Morning News page. That is at WTMJ.com. All right. Uh, I know Belinda's going to take an update on the stock market. It's come back a bit. Um, actually, 15 minutes ago, the Dow was down 1,500 points, the largest single-day point drop in history. Point drop, not percentage drop. That's a difference. Point drop was 777 points. It looked like 
we were going to blow the doors off that, but the Dow has come back. It's now it's now down 735 points, which is still down an awful lot, but that's not anywhere close to being down 1,500 points. We're going to have a couple updates in just a minute or two. Um, bottom line is very, very volatile, and what's going on today comes on the heels of a 660-point drop on Friday, uh, another couple hundred-point drop the day before that. But at the same time, Got to understand that the Dow has been up and up and up for week after week after week. All right, when we come back, Riverside High School, a brawl. What are parents and administrators to do? 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have a text from Andrew and Greenfield who says, Maybe I'm just dumb, but why does the Trump memo have anything to do with the market? I actually don't think you're that dumb, Andrew. I mean, I, I was actually listening to our newscast tonight. I, I was thinking actually the same thing. I, you know, keep in mind the market's been going up and up and up and up and up. And what happened on Friday was you had this better than expected jobs report that triggered fears of inflation and things like that. And I think that was perhaps the excuse that people were looking to do uh, some profit taking and a pullback. I, I understand that there's always this. There's always this intent to try to like read politics into stuff, but I, that one might be a bit of a stretch to me as well. I, I kind of agree. I think it's more likely that I think people are afraid of inflation and things like that. Plus, the bottom line is, you know, the stock market, again, it's been, and I'm not trying to be Pollyanna about this, believe me, I, I wish it would continue to go up and up and up, but the stock market has been, especially the last several months, it has been relentlessly going up, and you do... I'm not sure I would use the phrase, well, healthy, a correction. But at a certain point in time, you do get a pullback. And my guess is that that's what this is. Just saying. All right. Um, I am told that the Milwaukee Public Schools have now, the MPS, has suspended 17 students for a large brawl that broke out Friday at Riverside High School. Um, there are videos of this fight which are are posted online. It's actually kind of amazing that you have the people who are involved in the fight, and then you have all sorts of other people standing around with their cell phones videotaping the, the fight. Um, the videos show staff members trying to break up the brawl, in some cases separating and restraining students. Now, here's the interesting aspect of this fight. It's all girls. It, it appears to be all or almost all girls that are involved in this fight and what i'm being told is the 17 people who were suspended were in fact all girls milwaukee police said officers were not called to respond to the incident um, which occurred again mps is looking at starting disciplinary action this is not the first fight brawl that is broken out at riverside high school and it's also of course not the first fight slash brawl which is broken out at various mps schools over the course of the last few years when we send kids to school our hope is that they are there to be educated unfortunately you know, too often, what, what's happening is, and I feel bad for the teachers in this particular situation, because what happens is they end up not so much as teachers, but they end up as 
well, we're going to be babysitters or, you know, we're going to be essentially guards. You know, in our job, it be, stops being teaching and it starts being, okay, we're just going to try to keep a lid on this so that if there's going to be a fight, it doesn't break out in the school system. Right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, having seen videos of this fight, I admit I don't understand why it is that the police weren't called. You know, if you've got enough of a fight that has 17 kids that are going to be suspended because of it, you do wonder, you know, what, why why weren't the police called? Apparently the teachers were able to get this under control, but here, you know, they're acting as the essentially referees during this brawl. The kids have been suspended. My question is this. If we are going to get a handle on violence in the schools, are suspensions enough, or do we need to start talking about expulsions? Is it time to say, if you get into one of these massive fights, that's it, you're done? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I was kind of particularly struck by looking at the video of this fight. I mean, it's just intense, and it's largely, I think it's almost exclusively, it's girls. They're going after each other. They're fighting. Lots of people are standing around. But it is a major disruptive thing. Do you need, as a deterrent, to say, if you get involved in one of these fights, we're not talking about a one- or two-day suspension. We're talking about you being out of the school. 414-799-1620. Is suspension enough, or do we have to start talking about expulsion? How many brawls at an MPS school can you tolerate? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 240. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, Friday, massive brawl at Riverside High School. It's not the first time they've had a brawl there. Um, 17, I'm told, girls, which have been suspended. I've seen the video of this, and you've got these young girls who are just going after each other. The police, for some reason, were not called. The teachers were the ones that were responsible for breaking this up. There are suspensions. Is that really the best way to handle this, though? Dave in the Fox Valley. Dave, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Better than if I was at Riverside High School on Friday. Oh, yeah, no kidding. We're golfing out west, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say, you know, my daughter just got a job teaching up here in the Valley, and um, she has a mixture of, of uh, students. Um, two of the classes that she has um, are more problematic than, than the other ones, um, but she spends more time... Uh, with behaviors and, you know, the truancy and all that kind of stuff going on. And and so it's like it's, it's all over the place, and, and she's so frustrated, and, and, she's, and she's young, and she's supposed to be enjoying and getting on with her career, and it's like it, it's like bulwark up there, and it's just like so, so and it's dangerous. It's so da- dangerous. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, and I mean, that's what's one of the things that kind of struck me about this story. And again, I, I'm what you've got these kids that are just out of control. You know, you see this video, and you've got these—they're all girls, and they're just wailing on each other. And you know, from a teacher's perspective, I don't know—do they teach you in teachers' class about teachers, you know, college about how you're supposed to break up fights between people? But yet, that's the role that you end up being put in, and that's not fair to the teachers. Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, growing up, uh, you know, down by you, too, it's like, you know, what, what happened just going to school and doing the right things? And, 
you know, just not getting hit by erasers, you know, I mean, it's like you just kind of do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not getting, I just not getting hit by erasers. I, I always tell this story. Seventh grade, had a math teacher. His name was, name was Mr. Stanley, Sam Stanley. And this is back in the day of the old chalkboards and the erasers. If you didn't pay attention in class, he would haul off and he would throw erasers across the classroom you know and you, you know it doesn't hurt but he'd, he'd hit people you know and the chalk would go flying and everybody would laugh and whoever wasn't paying attention would get startled can you i mean this is just how it's changed and just since i was in seventh grade which has been a little bit of a while but can you imagine a teacher throwing <clears throat> throwing an eraser nowadays my goodness but of course you, you've got the inmates that are running the asylum in many respects and, and what i feel when, when i hear about these stories what i feel worse about is the kids that are there to learn because that's that's always the problem all you need is one or two disruptive kids in a classroom let's say you've got 22 kids that want to learn and you've got two or three that don't well it's those disruptive kids they're the ones that the teacher is going to be spending all their time with i just don't that's why i think you got to get the bad apples you got to get the kids who don't want to learn. You got to get them out of the classrooms. Now, admittedly, I'm not sure I got a great idea as to what you do with them. But if all you're doing is showing up at school because, well, you got to be there and you're looking to get into fights or, again, disrupt classes, you got to get out of those classrooms. Lamar, who's calling us from sunny Orlando. Hello, Lamar. Hey Jeff, uh, always always a great show, and thanks for taking my call. I, okay, I, I always and this I'm going to torture myself. You are in Orlando, Florida. The sun is shining, right? It is. It is shining. And how how warm is it? Uh, right now it's seventy five. <laughs> Okay, it's 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 twelve degrees right now. It was minus one this morning, and we got some more snow coming. Nice to talk to you, um, Lamar. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> what do you think as a Milwaukee native? Uh, so I'm a new educator. Um, I'm a new I'm a new teacher. Uh, I've been teaching all of a week, and these are difficult. This is a difficult call for me. Uh, on one hand, you don't you want to deal with those that are disrupting. On the other hand, uh, down here, every school has a school resource officer, a uniform officer, literally in every school. And even if, if this is, if, if, for instance, if no one got made severely hurt or, or even mildly hurt, the SRO is not going to make arrests. They're not going to make arrests. They're going to, they're going to, you know, process them to be suspended or whatever the disciplinary policy of the school is. And I think that, and the reason for that is that they don't want to, the idea is not, we don't want to get these kids in the system. Now let me let me call, let me be careful when I say that. There are some kids that are repeat offenders that they will deal with, and I think that administrators should have the you know have the latitude of dealing with that because at midday trading like stocks that. were down. At midday trading stocks were. Nope. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Don't know where that oh, came no. from. Oh, uh, at the end of the day, um, some of these kids again the repeat offenders you, you you learn how to deal with and. The rarely is fights happen. At midday trading, stocks were down as banks oh, have uh, fallen uh, following more action against. Hang, hang on, Lamar. Can, can we figure out okay. why? Mike, check why one, two, three, four, okay. five. Would Mike, tell, check one, two, three, four, five. Would you tell three, Belinda four, that she's coming over the air? Okay, go go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, Lamar. That's <laughs> right. Um, I was I was saying that um, the reality is fights happen in schools all the time, and certainly we with with, with cell phones, which is something I was totally banned from schools. That's another conversation. Certainly, we see this stuff more more frequently, and 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 brawls like this aren't that common. In like like right. for, for, like they may happen at district wide, maybe two or three times a year, but they don't happen at the same schools all the time. So you want to be careful in calling in a bunch of police officers using resources, 
for what is essentially just a school fight, nobody's really hurt, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to downplay the seriousness of kids fighting in school, but at the same time, I don't want to be using police resources for breaking up what is essentially just a school fight. What do you do with the kids, though? What what do you do with the kids that are involved in in the brawl? Um, You know, definitely definitely parents are called, suspensions are being handed out, and we're going to deal with it, you know, on a case-by-case basis. For example, if, if there are six students, if, if five of the six students have never been involved in this type of stuff before, they get a suspension and we, and we deal with it. If there's one kid that is a constant problem, then maybe we need to look at this kid doesn't need to be here anymore. Got it. If that makes any sense. No, it does. It's that one kid starting everybody else up. Fair enough. No, thanks to call. And enjoy. enjoy thanks to call Lamar and enjoy, enjoy Orlando. Uh, Lamar, one of our regular callers, is a uh, retired bus driver. Michelle in Brookfield. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Okay, what do you do? You've, you've got, this is not the first time this has happened. You have this massive fight that breaks out Friday. What do you do to the kids? Um, well, expulsion I don't think is the way because all that's going to happen is these kids are going to be on the streets. So that means more theft because the girls are just as bad as boys in inner city. They're going to go steal if they can. So I think that is not the right idea because they're just going to be left out on the street because most likely the parents are not highly involved if this is happening because the kids have no discipline mm-hmm. and one way to handle it in the school there's two different ways i see in these public schools they may not they shouldn't allow um, changing of classrooms for students students should be in one classroom and teachers change this way it helps reduce the risk of these students seeing each other and interacting with each other in the hallway and that's where this was this was in the hallway the i think hallway. in a class change exactly yeah. Now, yes, they may get some cabin fever. That's something that can all be worked out and tweaked and so that they're not, you know, disruptive. Or another way is you take these bad apples, put them in a classroom all day, and maybe you might, you know, for the teachers to have a guard in that classroom or or something like that. And this way, those who want to learn can learn. And can you imagine the teacher? Can you imagine class. being the teacher, though, that gets assigned to... You teach the bad apples teacher. and somebody you know or else it's a couple teachers you know you definitely don't want one teacher in a, you know that's why a guard and i know and i'm sure there are teachers out there who can handle some of these um breaths yeah, for, for, for one of a better term yeah i, yeah. I mean i get think i guess here, here here's the thing and this is and i appreciate the call michelle this is why this is so frustrating to me because i think there's lots of kids out there that, that want to learn and that that's I think these stories reflect again a, a minority of the students I, I think most of the kids that go to these schools that go to any school they, they want to learn they want to they want to go they want to do well and I think most of the people that teach in these schools you know the reason they signed up to be a teacher was because hey you you want to make a difference in somebody's life you know you want to take somebody and you want to inspire them and I certainly had inspirational teachers you, you didn't sign up because you want to essentially be a prison guard if you wanted to be a prison guard you could go somewhere else and you know you could go into a different line of work with that endeavor the, the thing is We've gotten to a point now where I, I think the pendulum has gone so far towards the all right. We're not going to hold kids accountable. We don't want to. We don't want to overdo suspensions because we don't want to have. We don't want to have somebody look at the demographics and say, "Oh, you're suspending too many of this type of person or that type of person." We certainly don't give teachers the right to you know intervene, and that's why I was struck by the story where they say the teachers 
are part of the people who are trying to get separate. I mean, you know, you, how many times have we seen this where you've got the aides or the teachers or someone who's trying to pull one kid off the other and they get hit, and then, you know, that that, that teacher's aide is the bad guy or the bad gal or, or whatever. It, it's just a situation where you cannot tolerate this in, in schools. And I'm not saying that Riverside High School, for example, is any better or worse when it comes to this. I'm just saying that you cannot allow this type of thing to occur. And it occurs with alarming regularity in MPS schools. Should you suspend the kids? Absolutely. But if some of these kids have been problems before, maybe it's time to simply say, okay, enough is enough. Because I understand there's the issue of what do you do with them? But at the same time, my bigger concern is what do you do with the vast majority of kids who want to learn, who are good kids, who are there because they want to better themselves, but they're not able to better themselves because you've got the disruptive forces that are there. That, to me, is the question. All right, it's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. It's 2.54. This is Jeff Wagner.